Sup Thrill Seekers, I'm Connor. And I'm Dev, and you're listening to Mass Hysteria. One, two, Dev's coming for you. We hope he gets this reference, or else it's just weird. <laughs> Otherwise, we just creepily Happy say Happy Halloween! <laughs> Welcome or welcome back to a new episode of Mass Hysteria. Um, Are we getting excited for Halloween candy? We bet. Is it just me? <laughs> it's so weird. Connor just goes trick-or-treating and they're like, really? A ghost again I usually, every year? <laughs> I usually find a doll or a small child to take with me. <laughs> it's generally better received. Oh my god. Okay, we're not even gonna dive into that one at all. We're just gonna leave it alone. Um... So, first of all, as a serious note, thank you to everyone who listened to our episode last week about Trish. Um, it was really awesome to see. We had much more listeners than uh, normal, and her case is so important. And there's a very strong possibility that they could get justice in, is awesome. the, in the near future um, just because of how many people are now following the case and putting pressure to get it solved so thank you to everyone that's listened that's told us that they um are signing the petition or joining a facebook group that's awesome her family and friends are doing great work and we're really happy that we got to support that <clears throat> even in a small way um and we if you are newer here and this is one of the earlier episodes you're listening to we do this segment most weeks um that we came up with called a mass hysterical because we like to obviously be respectful when we're presenting research and facts about the cases that we cover, we like to start the episode on with a lighter note, a little exactly. like add uh, some levity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, before diving right in, and usually, is it mostly potty humor? Yes. Are we okay with that? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Are we really twelve-year-old boys? Yes. yes. <laughs> Oh my god, Connor's hair is blue and he could totally spike it into a mohawk and be a I middle totally school bully. Um, but the mass hysterical, originally, conceptually, we were supposed to rotate back and forth. Uh, okay, we say this often. I'm TLDR, just... my life is a joke, Connor's is not. Yes. Or or like much more scandalous things happen to Connor, which are maybe not appropriate for the airwaves. Right. Um, so this mass hysterical, I'm just given. A little trigger warning. There's a swear word. Involves Connor. Um, I know you, I, you're going to know exactly what I'm saying. Let's just say it. So I told this person that I was going to share this. And I also told them that I would be discreet in how I shared it. Um, so Connor and I have this friend that is not the greatest at making decisions. You know what I'm talking about. Well, you'll figure it out in a second. Sure, sure. Um, the HR guy. Uh <laughs> And so Connor, I, I called Connor and was like, hey, you know, I, we really need to make this decision with my friend. Like, what should I say? And Connor's like, oh, easy. Just tell him like shit or get off the pot. Okay. <laughs> so, and he is the sweetest person ever. Not the great best decision maker. Not the most timely decision maker. Right. And Tends just, to just hang out on the pot. Yeah. Just likes to hang out on the pot. So like the decision that we were trying to make was like time was of the essence. 
So I was like, oh, okay, well, like, whatever. We went through all the choices that we could we could go through. And I was like, you know, Connor, I agreed. You need to shit or get off the pot. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure <laughs> without thinking, he closed his eyes. And he goes, I'm really trying to shit right now. <laughs> and I was like, are you experiencing decision constipation? Is is that what I'm hearing? So um, I, I bring this to the attention of our audience because if someone is pressuring you to make a decision and you still need a couple of those ripe moments left to think about your decision, just look at them, close your eyes, maybe scrunch your nose a little and be like, I'm really just trying to shit right now. <laughs> exactly. And either they will um, leave you alone or likely leave you alone. Or so like <laughs> that kind of solves the problem. Uh, do you want to bet that Winnie's going to text us? Who, who is that? Who is that? Who is that? Oh, he does every week. But Winnie, we won't tell you because we are honoring the anonymity here. Um, so that is our little light mass hysterical to start off the episode. Apologies if you don't like potty humor. Honestly, you probably won't like us very much. But, um, if you didn't, it's only a couple minutes in the beginning of each show. So feel free to skip it. And you know what? We got that out there. So. We got it out there. There's someone right now who's having trouble making a decision that's looking at them and being like, you know what? It's okay to try to shit a little longer. Exactly. Uh, everyone experiences decision constipation. Let's, let's Emotional normalize Emotional constipation. <laughs> um, actual constipation. Um, I've yeah. seen the Tums in yeah. your cabinet, Connor. Oh, yeah. Um, I love them Tums. So... This week, we are going to be in Massachusetts and Vermont. We are going to be talking about the case of Patricia Olson and Chris Robinson. Um, not the same Chris Robinson that was dating Amanda Knox. Good Fun fact, if you Google Chris Robinson. Mr. Robinson. Okay, can we please start a poll that's anonymous if Connor's tone deaf or not? We just had a little conversation really, about it. I'm really self-conscious about my tone deafness, <laughs> but not self-conscious enough to stop. I think you I think you just sing a little much, too much through your I, nose. I think that this also should have been a mass hysterical, that Devin thought that um, Funny Girl on Broadway <laughs> was Amy Schumer. So... If we can just all let that sink in, we can talk about who's cultured, who's funny. We can talk about who's, who's beautiful, who's not. Um, okay, fine. You've sorry, got I was allowed to watch Nickelodeon growing up. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so we're talking about Patricia Olson and Christopher Robinson. Connor, please don't sing again. Um, I Christopher won't. Ro- Robinson's not uh, connected to Amanda Knox. So without further ado, we are ready to kick this one off. Um, Patricia Olson was just 16 years old when she graduated high school in Vermont, Bennington, Vermont. She had aspirations to continue her education, but was swayed by her boyfriend to settle down and start a family. According to the Berkshire Eagle, she set aside uh, her dreams of attending Boston University and married her then-boyfriend instead by the age of 18. By the time she was 22, Patricia had two children, Christopher and Amanda. They were 13 months apart. In 1989, Patricia decided to divorce her husband, and she was able to find a bookkeeping job at a vehicle manufacturing company. According to the same article for the Eagle, a man by the name of Neil Olson would assist the company with sign lettering from time to time. He owned his own business and would offer his services to various clients in the area. Something about Patricia caught Neil's attention, and while he wasn't forward about asking her out at first, eventually he did muster up a little or a large amount of courage, really. A few years after they met, Neil leaned over her desk while collecting a check for his work, and he told her he really needed to talk to her, and he asked her to stop by his house tomorrow. He told her he wanted to talk to her about something. When she showed up, he asked her if she would live with him. 
He claimed that ever since he met her, he felt a spark that told him that he would spend the rest of his life with her. And, in a sad way, he was right. So the book we're going to be referencing for this um, story is called Murder, New England by M. William Phelps. We've actually used this book before, but um, just mentioning it so that if we say the book, you know what we're talking about. Book. Book. So Patricia felt this connection with Neil as well. And within the next year, the pair were mapping out plans for their future together. And every family has its own challenges. I don't think it's out of the question to say that no family is perfect, but some families, even with a gleaming aesthetic, hold some dark secrets. The Robinson Olson family certainly had its own share. Patricia Robinson married Neil Olson in 1994. Dev and I had yet to hit the ground running. That's how long ago this was. I was you definitely were a, twinkle. No. a work in progress. Yes, yeah, you were a work in progress. I was probably a twinkle. If that. <laughs> so twinkle, anyway, this, dull is, spark. this is a long time ago because, you know, I mean, the oh, we're things sorry. that are important only started happening after we were born. So, <laughs> Someone please cancel us. Okay, you go. <laughs> in the first few years after Patricia and Neil married, her two children moved into Neil's home in Lanesboro, Massachusetts. With a population of only a couple thousand, Lanesboro was a small but scenic town with dozens of areas to hike and explore nature. It's about as far west in Massachusetts as you can go before crossing state lines. Have you uh, have you ever been here, Connor? Um, is it on like the Connecticut border? Connor, New York, last. It's in New York. Some of, some Did of, they some teach of Western Mass? geography in homeschool academy. <laughs> Some of Western Mass is on the Connecticut border, isn't it? I mean, I would call it Southern Mass, but sure. Okay. <laughs> I was homeschooled. <laughs> this, this just in, breaking news. Lanesboro also teaches its kids about geography. I hate them. <laughs> Connor, they have an extension program. <laughs> <laughs> I literally hate you. We're so recording later than usual. two young teenagers with a um, new stepfather... It was hard because Neil was a very strict man, and it just wasn't going that well. We're in a tight household. Tight ship, right? Yeah, a tight ship. Strict household. Strict household, tight ship. Exactly. They walked the line. So both Amanda and Christopher, Patricia's children, started to resent Neil and harbor their own individual dislike for him. And by the time the custody battle between Patricia and her ex-husband was concluded, her children were entering their late teenage years. And if there's anything scarier than two brooding teenagers, please let us know, because we've yet to find it. Hmm. Then again, we also do seem like two brooding. We are brooding. two brooding teenagers, <laughs> which is why we know it's so scary. Um, so I grew up in a two-parent household, so I can't speak to the complexities and challenges that come with divorce. Perhaps You make that sound like it's just you. I, I know, I just realized that. Family household. I'm sorry. My parents aren't divorced either. You're um, not the only one. Yeah. All right? I, You're not that special. We're not. But we do want to acknowledge we do not understand it, so please do not come at us. But perhaps Patricia turned a blind eye to some of her children's rebellion because she knew the custody battle was taxing on both of them. Neil, on the other hand, had a much more militant approach to running the household. He constantly monitored both teenagers and, according to the Berkshire Eagle, Neil, quote, constantly searched Amanda's room and at one point removed the door to her bedroom after she was caught smoking. I'm assuming weed. End quote. Look, 
neither of us are parents, and we're not about to sit here and offer advice. We're clearly clearly uh, not qualified to give. But that said, we will. But that, yeah. So just remember that. But regardless of what approach to parenting was more effective, one thing is very clear. There was tension building in this home. Neil was not a man who was abusive towards his stepchildren, but his punishments were described in the article as intense and bizarre. One, ex- one example was that he would punish Christopher or Amanda by making them regrade like the ruts in the driveway. Uh, honestly, it seems kind of effective. Win-win situation, yeah, punishment, and also bizarre, fixes though. your driveway. But yeah, it's definitely strange. And by the time both teenagers were le- of like legal age to move out, they immediately did so. Do parents have a favorite child? I know mine do. Rhymes with Donner. Wait, you have a <laughs> sister named Honor? I'm just kidding. Uh, all jokes aside, I think most people would agree that even if there is a favorite, it's usually not too obvious. Or it shouldn't be. Or it shouldn't be, at least. Well, Patricia deeply favored her son. She coddled him and would do anything to shelter him from harm. And remember this thrill, she- thrill seekers as it makes the events of this case all the more perplexing. Before we dive specifically into the details about what happened, I think it's first important to touch on the financial struggle Neil and Patricia were facing. If you've never heard of the phase life insurance policy, you must be newer to the true crime rabbit hole. Welcome. We have snacks. Welcome. We do have snacks. Sometimes. Not tonight. Devin spent the last um, hour digging through our fridge telling us that we didn't have enough snacks. There was no Cape Cod chips. Anyway, on to the next. <laughs> there was potato chips, just not Cape Cod. Not Cape Cod chips. AKA, there was no potato chips. <laughs> so anyway, Neil had established a retirement account of around 100000 and a death benefit account of around 75000 or insurance policy of around 75000 which is not enough money to buy a house in San Francisco. But at the time, and really even today, it's not a crazy modest amount of money either. Patricia was ambitious with her career plans, but did not have the greatest money management skills. After her job at the auto auto manufacturer, she ran a video store near her house. When that business ultimately closed in 2003, Hello Netflix, um, she invested the couple's money in turning the building into a restaurant called Mrs. O's Seafood. We offer one piece of advice that we are not qualified to give. Please listen to this. Don't let one spouse control all the bank accounts. Neil was not aware of his wife's terrible money management. Also, I have another piece of advice. Maybe um, don't open a seafood restaurant in the middle of Western Mass because no one goes to Western Mass for the seafood. There's no ocean nearby. Connor, it's near Connecticut, okay? <laughs> I literally hate you. I, I literally. There's a lot of fish in Connecticut. I'm sorry. I'll probably say something stupid in the coming weeks and you can grill me. Grill me like a fish in Western Connecticut. <laughs> so anyway since neil was not aware of his wife's money management he was not aware of how dire the situation was and court documents highlighted that quote patricia drained the joint accounts and some accounts were closed from being overdrawn many bills for both businesses went unpaid end quote so not only did she run a video store into the ground and had unpaid debts she then decided to run a fish store or seafood restaurant into the ground excellent So this is just the tip of the iceberg. Patricia would borrow from other family members to cover up one debt, only to create a new one. And often a larger one. Right. Many couples face money challenges, and they learn how to work through them together. We are Crown Financial. We are, actually. (laughs) 
Come to us for your financial advising. Um, a minimum $20,000 deposit. You may see returns. Um, <laughs> or maybe not. It's kind of the exciting part. Um, so Patricia, she confided in her children that her marriage was heavily strained. And sure, she told her children, of course, that she thought about leaving Neil, but he would take everything and she would be even further into financial ruin. Basically, she's reiterating to them that she's staying with Neil because of the finances. Wouldn't it be crazy, she told her children, if she, like, put some glass or poison in his oh food? Oh, my God. That would surely take care of him. I mean, it's only a joke, though. Just a joke, she assured them. But over time, the jokes seemed less, well, jokes. And in October of 2004, Patricia asked a friend... Patrick Prendergast, sounds like a Harry Potter name, I like that. Yeah, it does. Um, if he was able to kill Neil, or at least point her in the direction of <laughs> somebody who would. That discussion? Hey, Pat, good to see you. Um, I just had a question. Would you be able to kill my husband, or do you know anyone that could? It's just a joke. <laughs> um, so this isn't funny, but... It's not funny, but you can kind of see how outrageous his situation is. Yeah. So she, and when Patrick looked at her strangely and told her, like, her jokes aren't funny, she quickly would tell him, like, oh, my God, don't take it seriously. I'm obviously kidding. She was just fed up. That was all. Just making some lighthearted jokes. Patricia was resentful of Neil's success and upset to admit that her business was on its way to bankruptcy. I'm sure that's very difficult if she cares about what she's running. Um, she's really inches away from bankruptcy, if we're being honest. The thing is that Patricia may have had a different future if she did not gossip about her marriage to anyone that would listen. And yes, I acknowledge that sounds harsh, but Patricia would rant to her employees about how she wished Neil was out of the picture. Her employees, employees that are being paid by the family. And I don't think anybody could justify this kind of inappropriate behavior. No, no. Patricia Olson was perhaps one of the most manipulative people that we've discussed on the podcast thus far. And I mean, you guys have met Connor, so. Exactly. But we don't discuss me. That's true. But it's just all about we don't, me. You don't discuss you. Mm. Me and the listeners have bonus episodes. Okay, continue. <laughs> um, so on January 7th, 2005, Neil got a taste of the financial strain he and his wife were facing when he noted that his vehicle's insurance had expired. Patricia told Neil, told Christopher that Neil was so angry when he found out that he struck her in the face. She begged her son to come over that night and kill Neil. If Neil was indeed violent towards his wife, that is absolutely unacceptable. But, if what Patricia went on to tell Christopher was a lie, then that is next level manipulative. Also, if someone tells you that they are in a domestic abuse situation, the answer is not, as much as we might want to, to kill their abuser. The answer is to get the abused to go to the police. Yeah. You can go to the police with them whatever you support need to do. Support them in any way support you need them. to. Not do that not way. Not kill that. their abuser. Yeah. That's just our TED Talk for the week. We've had a lot of TED Talks, but that's, that's <laughs> probably our most important one of this episode. Uh, I think so. So two days later, on January 9th, Patricia called Christopher to tell him that Neil was abusing her and that she couldn't take it any longer. Patricia, at the time, was babysitting Christopher's young daughter. She leaned into the phone as she spoke and told Christopher that now Neil was abusing his daughter as well. Upon hearing this, Christopher immediately arranged to get a gun and come that night to the family home. So this is where Patricia's behavior is like you, you obviously 
we are both people you read something you're going to believe the victim every time why would someone have to something uh, to lie about something where they're the victim but in this situation i mean it's just like she was taking every angle she could it's to get it's very it's very effed up because she knew like it's it's his daughter if he was saying for like spoiler alert people that are truly victims exactly um that people like people will do things like this um but obviously her son was as much as he wanted to help his mother he was holding out and then i think in her mind she was thinking oh okay well i know one thing that will definitely push him over the edge we're gonna involve his daughter like what a crappy thing to do um and if you think she is evil just hold on for what's coming so patricia was fully committed to ensuring her murder plot went off without a hitch she supplied christopher with the funds to purchase a gun and devised a plan of attack neil would return his horse to her stall before he retired for the night he would go out around like 11 to 12 which i honestly was really late but maybe that's the only time he has and he would give the horse like a little grain snack well sometimes they do that like we call it night check but every no i know i'm an ex-horse person but like every single night at between eleven thirty and twelve thirty, just seems really late. But mm, yeah, I guess we're like no. Old people need standard. less sleep. Um, the plan was simple though. Christopher would hide in the barn, and he would wait for Neil to enter the stall. When Neil returned to the barn shortly before midnight, Christopher shot him not once but seven times. He fired nine rounds, and seven of Holy them uh, hit Neil. His face was also crushed with a blunt object. After the act, Christopher ran inside to his mother, who was shoveling sleeping pills down her throat. Her reasoning was that the next morning, the cops would wonder why the gunshots didn't wake her up. Jesus. So she told Christopher to hide the rifle in his old bedroom closet for now and to spend the night at a nearby hotel. And I mean, this is obviously, this was hard to read, this is hard to write, this is hard to say. But I think one takeaway that I didn't note is like her, um, I guess behavior in the aftermath of what happened is really indicative of how deep her narcissism is because she's like christopher figured out go to hotel like put the rifle somewhere else meanwhile she's like making sure that her alibi quote-unquote alibi is like airtight oh i'm gonna take all these sleeping pills so they don't ask me any questions she just put him at huge risk um i mean obviously he did something bad too but like she's putting him at huge risk huge risk so the next morning um according to the book by phelps that connor mentioned Patricia phoned her restaurant and asked one of the employers, uh, excuse me, employees named Rosa, hey, can you bring over a breakfast sandwich to the house? Neil wants one. Rosa was happy to oblige, and she showed up shortly after with the hot meal. When she opened the door, Patricia looked at Rosa groggily and said, oh, I just, I didn't sleep well last night. I took three Tylenol PM pills. Rosa kind of tilted her head to the side, a little confused by the comment, like, why is it relevant to her job? but wished Patricia would feel better soon. Rosa was curious, though. Where was Neil? Oh, well, he's probably out working in the barn, Patricia told her. It was around 8 a.m. when Rosa left the home to return to the restaurant. So she's a narcissist and a really poor actor. Okay. Apparently. Less than 30 minutes later, Patricia was phoning the police in a frantic mess. She told the responding chief of police, Mark Bashara, that she was on her way to deliver the breakfast sandwich when she found her husband dead on the floor of the barn. The horse's stall door was open, and the victim was sprawled out in front of it. Patricia called Rosa to tell her what happened. Rosa, who very much liked Neil, 
rushed over to the house to comfort Patricia. When Rosa entered the space, according to the book, she spotted Patricia vomiting the kitchen sink. Rosa sat down at the table and waited. When Patricia sat across from her, she blurted out that it must have been the horse. Rosa was confused, then realized that Patricia must have been talking about Hannah, which was Neil's beloved horse, and saying that, like, it must be, like, that the horse ran him over or trampled him or something. So Patricia shook her head and looked away. It's my fault, she said. I would have heard the ruckus if I had not been taking all those sleeping pills. Patricia had convinced herself, and was close to convincing authorities, that Hannah had indeed trampled him. Hannah was covered in blood and anxiously snorting and trotting around the area. This makes me so sad. It's really sad for the poor, the like, poor traumatized the animal. Um, perhaps Patricia did not know the extent of what Christopher had done to Neil the night prior, but it was very gruesome. His face was completely unrecognizable, and his head was nearly detached. When the medical examiner leaned in closer to look at the victim, they saw something kind of glimmer. That's odd. Looks like shell casings. Was he a hunter or something? Behind the barn, though, there was one thing that gave it away. A metal pipe. And it had blood on it and even some hairs that looked like they matched the victims. While police were honing in on the truth, Patricia was still perpetuating the idea that the horse had killed her husband. She described Hannah as a cranky old B-word. <laughs> I can't even, I can't, I can't call an animal a name like that. An animal is innocent. Um, she was like, Hannah's cranky. She's difficult to ride. Um, she would kick Patricia. Um, strange horses have a great sense of sensing evil. Um, mm, she admitted to police that she herself had actually considered getting rid of Hannah on more than one occasion. Um, and when a woman who worked at the restaurant told Christopher, like, you should come home and comfort your grieving, grieving mother, Christopher said, nah, I'm actually, I'm planning to go to the mall with a friend. There's just, like, so many odd things here, but, like, also, like, man, we found what seems to be shells in your husband's body, and... She's like, Hannah pipe, has a gun, a okay? Yeah, a pipe that he was, like, that has blood on it behind the barn. <sighs> Hannah, what a bad horse. <laughs> like, at some point, like, you would think she would, I don't know give it up, come up with another storyline, but she's just leaning into it. I mean, I guess you have to give her credit. She was committed to the storyline. So Christopher's friend, who we went to the mall with, was suspicious of Christopher when he heard that Neil had been found dead. Six months earlier, Christopher had told his friend that his mother had asked him to kill Neil himself, but that he was not capable of actually doing it. And when the police found nine twenty-two caliber casings in the barn, his friend went straight to the authorities. Christopher owned that same type of weapon and had prior disagreements with the victim. Like we said earlier, he and his sister were not big fans of Neil. Christopher did actually get kicked out of Neil's home. I've looked, I looked a bunch of different sources and I couldn't find it like explicitly why he got kicked out, but they had some kind of disagreement, like actually like full blown argument and uh, Neil kicked Christopher out. So he wasn't allowed to be around the property. Um, that being said, doesn't justify what he did, but as background, that's why, uh, Patricia describes the relationship as non-existent and right, toxic. Right, and that's why probably his friend was like, eh, something is not adding up here. So the rifle was still hidden in Christopher's old closet. Perhaps drained from the stress of the previous night, or perhaps because he could feel the authorities piecing things together, 
Christopher did not go to great lengths to hide his rifle. In fact, the police found it shortly after disposed of in an old culvert. Christopher was effectively homeless and jobless when his stepfather was found dead. It did not look great for him when it was clear to authorities that Neil's pockets had been turned inside out. The killer took his stepfather's life and nearly $200 from his pockets. Remember a little earlier when Connor alluded to Patricia being particularly manipulative? Well, buckle up. On January 11th, the autopsy results showed that Neil had indeed been murdered. Patricia was brought in for questioning, where she assured the authorities that her relationship was so strong. Neil had never, ever, ever been physical toward her. Who would dare to suggest that? She initially denied that Christopher had been near the property at all, um, but then admitted to authorities that he had. He didn't get along well with Neil, though. She made sure to add that piece in. Sounding like uh, Patricia might be the old B word. Yeah, it's weird how there's a common theme, Patricia. Um, Throughout her interview with authorities, she constantly mentioned that she and Neil had a lovely marriage and a very active, intimate life. Ew. Um, (laughs) If anybody had a reason to kill him, she hinted, it definitely would be one of her children, not her. What a horrible woman. Not her. She would never. She could, uh, and and while Christopher ultimately was the killer in the story, we can agree that Patricia was really the villain here. Christopher was hesitant to open up to authorities at first, but then he admitted that he had been the one that killed Neil, but it was at his mother's, like, begging request. Her defense would later be described in court as trying to portray her son as, quote, a derelict who hated the victim, an irresponsible absentee father, a thief, and a liar. Can you imagine hearing those loving words from your mother in court? Yeah, that's pretty bad. So if you still are not enraged by the gaslighting, manipulative behavior of Patricia, please open up your ears to this quote that she gave the Berkshire Eagle. Quote, I seriously think that Chris thought that with Neil gone, he would be able to move it back into the house and have his mother back, his girlfriend back, and his baby. I am sorry that my son did this. I just asked the people pray for our family, for me and my children. She went on, end quote, she went on to say that she had forgiven Christopher for his acts, but could never forget what he did to her beloved husband. She collected over 20 witnesses who would testify that her son was a liar. The the judge, of course, barred this from the trial. But in what world? I'm going to need to bite my tongue for the rest of the epi. According to the book, on May 23, 2006, 12 jurors deliberated and decided within the same day that Patricia Olson was guilty of first-degree murder. Christopher was found guilty of second-degree murder. Both Patricia and Christopher were sentenced to life in prison, but Christopher has the possibility to um, be up for parole after around 15 years. Patricia has sought, with no success, to appeal the decision. Patricia has settled into her routine in prison, according to the Berkshire Eagle. She has some friends and has earned a degree since entering the facility. In an update from 2013, granted, not the most recent, but she did do an interview where she said that she was working in embroidery 12 hours a day, six days a week. And perhaps the manipulative mother who tried to evade all the blame has maybe, just maybe, gotten off her high horse. But, like, let's not hold our breath. Let's not hold our breath. Um, so thank you for joining us for today's epi. Um, I don't, I think between this case and the case we did about Peter Riley, I am like dealing with my own internal rage. Right. Um, that people behave this way. 
so I'll be I'll be processing this alone in the corner. But until next week, thanks for tuning in, guys, and happy Halloween. <laughs> we won't see you again before then. We won't. It'll be November. Enjoy. Have great costumes. Eat lots of candy. Bye, guys. Bye.